Hello and welcome to I'd Like to Speak to the Arts Manager, a podcast featuring conversations with the people who work behind the scenes at our favorite opera companies, orchestras, museums, and more. In this week's episode, I talk with Celeste Feta, Director of Education at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts in Richmond, Virginia. If 2020 can be used as an adjective, and I definitely think we should start doing this, then that is the best way to describe my conversation with Celeste, because as you'll hear, she was working from home with her children. It made this episode particularly relatable and poignant, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Celeste. Hey, Catherine. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm so sorry we're starting late. I totally lost track of time. That's okay. How are you? I'm okay. I'm sorry. Good. You're probably going to hear... Um... All right. Children in the background. That's okay. It makes it real. <laughs> okay. Everyone needs to just do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. Hold on. All right. Let me, let me actually change my... Help. <sighs> okay. Sorry about that. So you're calling from home. Um, so where where is home exactly? I know you're with the VMFA. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So we're in Richmond. Awesome. Area. Yeah. So just actually in Henrico County, just outside of of the city. Oh, that's so nice. I grew up yeah. in Hanover County on the okay. north. Okay. So I'm sort of familiar it's been a long time since I lived in Richmond full-time but have an an idea of the general lay of the land so yeah so <laughs> well if, if you know where like Lewis Ginter is oh, yeah. Farms, yeah, yeah there. oh that's so nice I love yeah, it out very there nice. so. yeah so what exactly are you responsible for at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts um, so I'm the director of education at the mm-hmm. museum. Um, so oversee our education team, which is about 30 people full and part time, um, as well as, you know, about 150 volunteers. And we have about 60 adjunct faculty as well. Mm-hmm. That's um, really robust it, for an education. Yes, I love it, it is. <laughs> Very fortunate. Um so the education team, we're, we have three focus areas, um, education programs, which encompasses public programming like performing arts, um, our family day events, uh, teen programs, adult programs, um, and then program team. So that is any program that focuses on creating art, um, I would say 50% or more of the content area of that program. Um, so like our studio school program, uh, for adults and, uh, studio art classes for kindergarten through teen. Mm -hmm. Um, and then our interpretation team, which looks at, you know, how we share, um, the story of, of art and help people connect with those stories through their lived experiences. So, that is a big team, so it encompasses um, our teacher programs, um, tour programs, our distance learning team, um, our early childhood program, and evaluation team. That's a lot. Yes, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And then we work really closely with our statewide team, um, which again it does what it sounds like. So they they focus on like our um, BMFA on the road 
um, Artmobile um, and statewide programs throughout the Commonwealth. So yeah, anything basically public facing. <laughs> um, and I would say too, with the interpretation team, one thing I, I forgot out. So they work closely um, and, and we all do with um, curatorial teams mm-hmm. and looking at um, exhibitions. So looking at interpretive planning for exhibitions, um, you know, around labels and, and any kind of interpretive tool that may exist for the, for the exhibition. So like aud- working on audio guide, um, any kind of digital um, interactions. Uh, and then we also have a interactive gallery um, that falls to our team, team's responsibility within the Art Education Center. Awesome. Yeah. So w- during a normal non-pandemic, mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what process do you go through to plan out the calendar year for activities and classes? Sure. Um, let me go back in the recesses of my mind here. I feel <laughs> like... <laughs> Um, so normally, um, we try to plan things out at least, I would say like six months. I mean, on like the very close end, um, to, you know, a year in advance, um, with the classes and programming that, that can be a six to, to nine month cycle. And I would say, you know, like for our summer classes, for example, like we're planning those now. So that'll be sort of finalized by January, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's roughly kind of what we what we do. Um, and there are times when you have to kind of pitch hit and, and change things on the fly. But it's it's usually, you know, six months at the shortest, nine months to a year. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how has that general timeline changed in this time of pandemic? Um, well, you know, I think when pandemic kind of hit, hit here, you know, in in March, Mm -hmm. um, it was more sort of how, like, how does that obviously affect us right now? What do we have to, to change? Um, so, uh, a lot quicker (laughs) in terms of response. Um, and then sort of, having to cancel things, um, that happened much quicker. Um, I think in terms of, of how it's changed, I would say, you know, time frame has shortened for sure, but I think it's also, it's also not planning just one set of scenario, like a one scenario, it, it's planning two at the same time. So I think it's, it's not necessarily like the amount of time, but what we have to switch up yeah you know oh hold on sorry (laughs) shh okay I'm sorry okay ask I'll I'll help you with that in a minute okay okay Okay. (laughs) are your kids doing school at home this year um so we are they this is a an example of just how you have to kind of switch with the situation. Um, so they were at daycare and their daycare, I have two children. Mm-hmm. So a four-year-old and a 10-year-old and their childcare facility reopened in July. And so they went back um, and my daughter is um, doing virtual school from there as a home base. Oh, nice. And um, my four-year-old is in pre-K in person, uh, which I'm a, you know, and, and both have 
smaller capacity classrooms and, you know, are following all of the protocols as they should. Mm-hmm. However, there was a case um, last week we were notified um, and everything's fine. We're, we're fine. Um, but, you know, they're, they can't go back um, at an abundance of, of caution. So yeah. oh, no. we, we are, they are, they are here this week. <laughs> so wow. that, that has changed kind of my work day. Um, again, so I'm sort of reliving the spring a little bit. Um, yeah. Had, yeah. So the VM, when did the VMFA close to the public? So that happened in March. Um, I believe March, I might go back again to March 13th, okay. the evening of March 13th, okay. that Friday. And mm-hmm. did the entire staff transition to working at home at that point or what um, that happened? Yeah, when, when possible. Um, so yes, yes. Um, okay. Of course, there were some that had to stay, you know, for operations. Um, but yeah. Awesome. And so when did everything go back to the museum being open and people were able to come in to work in the office? So um, July 1st, the museum opened back up for members and then July 4th to the public. Um, Per, you know, as a state agency, um, we were encouraged to to still telework when possible. Mm -hmm. and again, so it depends on kind of that, that frontline staff who were needed to come back to operate the museum. Um, so that's kind of where we, where we remain. So a lot of our team, for example, um, okay, hold on. <laughs> so, um, our team, for example, or my, myself, I'll, I'll give myself an, as an example. So on the floor that we work on in our building, um, it's usually pretty full. So we have about 10 to 12 people at any time on our floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've really worked out a rotating schedule to minimize the amount of people there, um, mm-hmm. a schedule of telework slash in-person. So even though, again, the museum you know, fully operational now, like when people can telework, that's, that's encouraged. Um, and so, I have that, that f- give my team that flexibility um, because a yeah. lot of us are still, again, our parents or our caregivers, you know, for other members of our family. So, right. Or it's, like it's you mentioned, still essential. or like you mentioned, they're actually teaching, too, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Which right. adds just a whole other level of complication, I'm sure, because they're out in the schools if they're at our are any Virginia schools doing in person right now? I don't even. Yes. Uh, yeah, they are. Um, so a couple of counties, um, I think Hanover actually is doing in person. Okay. Um, and then a couple other counties have started to phase in some in-person learning, Mm -hmm. um, for, you know, populations that really benefit from that in-person instruction. Um, And then I think, you know, Henrico, for example, um, they'll make a determination, I believe, in the next few weeks, even next week, actually, October 22nd, on um, what they will do. You know, either a hybrid option, you know, five person, I mean, five days a week or four days a week. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, my personal opinion, especially from what I've 
gleaned from just talking to people who are who have kids or they are a kid in school it seems like it's it's nice to have the option to go in person because I know some students just they don't learn very well from home but that's neither here nor there um (laughs) I'm I'm curious what changes you've made to your education programs um in light of social distancing and and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing yeah so um (laughs) we we have a lot of things that um focus uh, um, on online access, so Mm -hmm. virtual access. So we've had a distance learning program um, for a couple years now, so that gave us a lot of um, great insight on on how to do this (laughs) um, more expansively for our programs um, and really gave us a leg up from that perspective. So I'm very grateful um, that we started that a few years ago. Um, But even that had to be adapted a little bit because during closure, you know, our program is, is uh, live streamed from the galleries. Oh, wow. So when we couldn't do that um, because we were close to staff and the public um, in that sense, um, they really had to pivot, you know, how they, how they did that program. Um, Mm And, and that was okay because a lot of schools, I mean, and I give a lot of credit to our teachers and admin at public schools that had to, like, when March, you know, they closed in March around the same time, you know, they had to cancel a lot of things so they could figure out what, you know, how to move forward. Um, right. So that gave us time to sort of flex and, and figure out how we would continue to, to offer that service. Um, so they did some asynchronous video content uh, for teachers. And then also figured out once schools were back up and, and running in that virtual space, those that did, um, about, um, you know, safety for students um, because students were logging in from personal computers. And so instead of us hosting that Zoom um, distance learning session, the teacher would host and we would be brought in as a guest. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that was really that's so amazing to me because yeah. <laughs> I, it never even occurred to me that you would have to work through some of those challenges of, well, yeah. this is like a field trip. It is basically like a, a virtual field trip in my mind. Mm-hmm. So, but you, like, you don't organize the field trips. The school organizes the field trip. That right. just blew my right. mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the thing. It's like all these things that came up, you know, that you wouldn't have considered to try to navigate around those again, takes the time, right. And that scenario A and scenario B um, situation. So, so that, but we figured that out and I think it's working really smoothly and, and we're getting a lot more requests like from college and um, classes. Um, so that's been really great to expand that audience. And then we expanded that content, um, it was originally designed for sixth grade through college, but now we've expanded that into third third grade and up. That's because of again responding to that need. Yeah, that's really um, exciting. And, I think. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and then the rest of our programming uh, for adult programming and like teacher programming, um, really, we've turned to that virtual space um, through Zoom. Um, and that's been going great. Um, I got to say, it allows us to reach a lot more, uh, a wider audience who maybe not, may not 
have been familiar with the museum mm-hmm. um, and underscores that commitment to serve the entire state of Virginia. Um, and it gives us a, a bigger a capability to host a larger audience than, you know, an on-site space. So, um, you know, for example, we just finished up our um, seven-part uh, symposium on the um, exhibition Working Together, uh, the Kamoinge exhibition, which looks at African-American um, photography collective. Mm-hmm. Um, first exhibition to focus on this body of work um, in this group, and it'll be going to the Getty and the, um, oh my goodness, Ooh, the Getty and a museum in New York that is just went out of my head, which is not great. Um, um, Anywho, so we had a, we were supposed to do, this is an example of kind of um, switching gears very quickly and figuring out a solution. So that symposium was supposed to occur like the weekend after the pandemic closed the museum. And, um, and in that kind of between March and and June or July, um, as everyone knows, you know, we just, no one knew the extent of, of the impact or, you know, we kept kind of like the, in terms of the Commonwealth, you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of, we may reopen this date. We may think about using restrictions this date. And, and it really just had to kind of wait on pins and needles, right, before you figured out what was going to happen um, right. or which way to move. And that really made, you know, any kind of programming really a moving a moving target, specifically this one, um, especially as we looked at, you know, thankfully a lot of the artists who are featured or part of, part of Kamwenge um, are still with us, but they're all based in New York. Oh, no. And they're older. And, you know, we didn't – we were, like, really concerned about any kind of travel for them, as were they. Mm-hmm. So we ultimately decided to move it to a virtual uh, platform and and um, span it out over a seven-week period. Oh, wow. um, Yeah. So the virtual – because the virtual audience, you know, wasn't going to – you know, a, a day-long virtual symposium doesn't sound like a winner, you know. <laughs> No. in terms of holding audience attention. And so that's that's a reason we wanted to look at doing this kind of on a weekly basis. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, our, our great team, um, the coordinator for that project from education, Izzy Fuqua, and our curators, uh, Sarah Eckhart, just worked together diligently to help um, our speakers, our artists, you know, learn how to use Zoom, learn how to use an iPad. Learn how, I mean, had to help them all with that tech prep um, so they could participate. And it, you know, it just resulted in a, a wonderful collaborative effort on the museum side and a, and a space to really important story um, and body of work to a lot more people. Um, and I think gave the artist a, a lot of confidence. Um, and again, exposure um, of kind of their accomplishments and impact um, on photography. So um, that, that's a great success story um, of, of really just pivoting, figuring it out, um, helping people along the way to produce something I think that is really engaging yeah, I love- and will have a long a- impact. I love that story because to me, it's it's so much more hopeful and so much more positive than what I think anybody expected 
to come out of this pandemic. I mean, all you hear about is, oh, we had to cancel this festival that's been happening for the last 50 years, and we had to cancel this thing, and the Mets not reopening until their 21-22 season. And so to hear this amazing story about how you, if anything, it sounds like you expanded this event. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I think we, we just were able to reach a lot more people than I think it would, would have happened in person. And of course, you know, nothing can replace that in-person experience. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we can get close to that and still be able to reach, you know, more people, then, then all the better. I mean, with that ex- exhibition, too, another great example is we moved that entire exhibition online. That's another, I think, feat um, cross-departmentally, you know, our team helps, but also our, the library and, and our um, imaging resources team, and because um, there's a strong um, archive component with this with this show. Um, so you can actually go on our website and, and actually go through the exhibit, the whole exhibit's oh online, um, and that will remain there, even though the, ex- the exhibit itself actually closed this, this past weekend. Um, so that's, that's another example of just figuring it out yeah. <laughs> and uh, making it happen. For sure. You know? So <laughs> making it happen. Did you make the event, was the content of the symposium the same virtual mm-hmm. as it would have been in person or were you able to add more yep. content? Yeah, it was the same um, as in person. I think we had to restructure it a little, a little bit here and there, mm-hmm. but, but essentially the same um, because, you know, a lot of it was, was pretty much ready to go. Um because we had to cancel it so close to the in-person right. version. Um, I think just kind of, we had to take more time to, to just um, bring, you know, some of the speakers up to speed on the tech side. Yeah. I know the um, technology has been a huge hurdle for a lot of people. Somebody else I was talking mm-hmm. to was a few, I guess I was talking to her a week or two ago and she transitioned from working in an office with two computer screens at her disposal to working at home with just the one screen. I had to figure out Zoom. And I just, I love the flexibility of arts organizations in, okay, well, we're going to go work from home. And so we're going to go work from home and we're going to figure it out. I love it. It's, (laughs) yeah, for me, even having worked in the arts, it, it shocks me because orchestras plan their seasons years and years in advance and then all of a sudden you have to you just have to figure it out yeah yeah um and I think too the you know flexibility is a word that I think especially you know coming from I used to, like, I started out in the tour department and I, mm-hmm. you, you know, um, when you're ge- dealing with, um, groups, a different group, you know, every hour, um, right. coming from, you know, different places. And, you know, if, if it's a, a school group, there's so many dynamics at play. Um, you just never know. And you just have to be flexible to at any time. That's you know, we always have said like, you know, flexible is a tour guide's middle name you just have to kind of roll with the punches and I think that I gotta say like that mentality having that anyway regardless like before the pandemic you know I think enabled us to respond um in a much more can-do kind of spirit um I mean that's and and that doesn't to say not to say that it wasn't hard I mean 
but yeah so what do you see for the future for the VMFA and for your education team going forward in the short term or even in the long term and yeah it's okay if it's speculation (laughs) (laughs) it is um well I will say you know um we are our um, studio classes, we have started on-site classes again. This started back up um, mid-September mm-hmm. on a much, again, um, following strictly following safety protocols and a much lower um, mm-hmm. for on-site classes. Um, and those are doing really well. Um, of course, not everything filled. Um, and we did try, we have transition some of them to, to online, the ones that, that made sense or that were, I guess, the most easily adaptable. So like writing classes, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say like for that K through 12 audience for our studio classes, none of the virtual classes filled. Um, mm-hmm. And cause I think there's that, again, that kind of yearning <laughs> as much yeah. as possible. So as we move forward kind of in that space, um, I I think we will, in the short term, continue to offer those in the spring, um, as long as things are are moving in the right direction, of course. Um, There's there's some kind of in-person instruction. Now, that means that, of course, like our revenue is going to still be down. Um, (laughs) But... You know, it's still, it also means that there's still a connectivity um, with the space and um, with our students. And that's really important to, to have some kind of sense of, of continuation for that. Um, for a lot of people, you know, especially as you look at adults, you know, for our adult studio class, a lot of those students have come, have been taking those classes for a long time and they really consider that space as a second home for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that back as an option, opportunity, comfortable doing so has really meant the world to them. Um, and that makes us feel great and connected um, to yeah. So I think well now just always going to be an option for us. Um, yeah. We've proven that we can do it. We've proven that there is need. So I, I think like for our history classes, for example, um, we're probably going to offer a virtual format um, for some of them moving forward. Yeah. Well, and um, I think that, that goes back to what you said about serving the entire state. Mm-hmm. that it, it's so much easier to do that if you can do at least some things virtually, whether it's having an exhibit available for online viewing or having a mm-hmm. a virtual class because not everybody, I mean, Virginia is a huge, it's a huge yes. state. I mean, you can yeah. drive across the entire bottom and like, it's like not a nine hour drive. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> One for sure. The other. So I think that's, I love that. I think that's so great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and I think I'm just really proud of the team for kind of flexing those muscles too. Mm-hmm. Um, and gaining that kind of experience. I think that only strengthens their skill sets, um, and, and helps them kind of feel lifted up, um, you know, and, and valued as yeah. well. Um, and that shows like personal growth and professional growth. So that, that's another positivity for sure. Yeah. So I think we kind of touched on this a little bit. I 
I, whenever I'm visiting my parents, I always come to the VMFA because there's always some kind of interesting visiting exhibit and the permanent collection is just amazing. Um, I kind of feel like it is a hidden gem. Like it's for me, it's like a well-kept secret and just the, the visiting exhibits that you guys do get are, they're like, they're top notch and they only (laughs) go to a few places. Um, So I'm curious what you feel like is, I guess my question, the role that the VMFA has in the community as far as the art that you present and the education programs that you present. We kind of, I think you kind of touched on this a little Mm -hmm. bit earlier, but just an opportunity to expand on that. Sure. Um, So yeah, it is, I I feel like the museum is a hidden gem. Um, I think nationally um, our director likes to say like people come, you know, and and say who knew (laughs) that this was here. Um, And you know, there's a couple ways. I mean, I feel like we, we have resonance in a, in a lot of different ways in the community. Um, you know, first, we're open 365 days a year. Um, so that's huge in terms of access. And we have evening hours as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Sculpture Garden, uh, for example, is a great gathering place um, and, and was and is still is during, during the pandemic because um, yeah. that's free and accessible all the time. Um, and the permanent collection is free. That's another little known, or I think not little known, but oft uh, forgotten <laughs> um, aspect of the museum. So, um, and again, like you said, we serve the entire state. So the community isn't just in Metro Richmond, we consider the entire state um, yeah. our community. Um, so I think all of those things really lend um, really the museum as being, and we hope, as being seen something that is accessible for everybody um, and that really strives to be. Um, And being a a kind of um, global collection, you know, that spans over 6,000 years of history and 50,000 works of art, you know, there's something there for everyone to connect with. Mm -hmm. Um, And in education, you know, that's something that we really feel strongly about um, and seeing that art collection as as a means to connect with people and vice versa. Um, so we have a, a kind of a, when we look at what we try to do in education um, at the museum, you know, we, we, we strive to engage with authentic objects, you know, using that object as, as kind of the core, as sort of a gateway, right, of learning mm-hmm. and connectivity. Yeah. Um, we want to exchange knowledge. So it's really important for us not to be sort of the sole um, authority uh, on art. It's, it's about sharing that. Yeah. Um, visitor really centered um, and understanding what their needs and motivations are um, and really hearing, hearing their stories um, and elevating those stories. Um, mm-hmm. And then really create though, of course we want to be kind of, a point in people's lives to help them uh, awaken their, their own creativity. Um, and whether that's making art or talking about art or just expression, you know, that that's something else. Um, and in terms of kind of our, how we kind of make 
education is really looking at um, you know quality and collaboration and again being community focused yeah so that's what we try to work on um, and the, and it really the arts is something and you working in that you know you, you're in this field too but that yeah. it has so much potential um, as really sort of that that com- establishing common ground yeah so yeah. how do you think that that whole encouraging creativity and connection through the arts is helpful during this time and how can arts organizations really help keep the the positivity and and that hopeful feeling um spreading during this time that feels just like god will this year never (laughs) and what's gonna happen like waiting I feel like we're all just waiting for the other shoe to drop um I'm just curious what your thoughts are on being connected through the arts and how that feeling of of connection plays so much into this pandemic and helping people Mm. feel like all hope isn't lost kind of yeah um well I mean I think I can come at that kind of from two two angles if I so I think for my staff and my team um really keeping the morale up on the team was a real was and remains a real focus um, mm-hmm. for me. And I think, you know, throughout kind of when we were shuttered, it was really important for, for me to lift them as much as possible up um, while also recognizing, I think, like I said earlier, like this was tough, you know, it was a challenge. Um, and there were days where like I felt overwhelmed Um I think what was happening pandemic wise and then in our community really around the country and the world um, with social unrest and it was, it was tough. Um, So I think, um, sorry about that. That's okay. Many things happening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think kind of, you have to boost kind of your, your colleagues and family and and, um, teams morale at the same time, like looking how that manifests itself, you know, in our work um, and turning that positivity outward um, as much as possible. Um, so again, the arts, the arts can, you know, I just believe in the power of art very much. Um, it can make you think, it can make, it can bring you joy, it can stir emotion. And I think often it's it's a way for people to say to feel safe doing that and sharing that um, using art as that vehicle. Um, so I think you know the output that we're doing in terms of of programming and resources and content. Um, we're really you know striving to make. Um, in a minute, honey. Okay. And and I and I think you know with with EMFA and it's kind of coming back to to being not only presentation um, 
of um, African-American art and artists, of women artists, you know, to, to make sure that, that that is another focus that, um, that we are doing is really important too. And that brings hope. Um, we hope it brings that, that sense of yeah, hope. For sure. Um, yeah. So aside from being able to reach a larger audience through making things more virtually accessible, are there any other unexpected opportunities or positive things that have come out of this whole situation for your, for you and the team and the VMFA? Um, yeah, I mean, again, I think, um, sorry, there's another distraction behind me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, audience expansion for sure, but I would say, um, another opportunity again, I, I come back to sort of the repositioning or, or rethinking, you know, how you do what you do in person to an online experience. So expanding that skill set um, yeah. is, is really a plus. Um, I think, again, it's, it's sort of to not only work for our team, but how can we help others get there, right? Mm -hmm. So so helping, you know, the, the um, Kamwenge collective artists, you know, um, sharpen their technical skills. And, and, you know, that hopefully will have a ripple effect for them. Yeah. Um, or helping, you know, one of our statewide partners do the same, you know, helps their community um, and, and sharing what they have to offer to a wider audience. So I think kind of that idea of the, that ripple effect on helping others gain these um, skill sets Mom. is a real plus. Um, yeah. And I think kind of, I know, I see, <laughs> kind of speaks to um, our role, right, as, as not only an arts organization, but also as a resource for the, for the Commonwealth, yeah, um, you know, of, of helping others. That's yeah. really important to us um, in terms of giving back. Yeah. Um, I, I always feel like art centers, if they, if they aren't already, they, they are the heart of the community. I mean, so mm -hmm. many times the big museum is placed in downtown and the community kind of builds itself around it. So, um, and especially where the VMFA is located right near in the fan and near Monument Avenue. It's just such an iconic part of Richmond too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my last question is, do you have, do you feel like you need to take a moment to advocate for any groups or any kind of situations or just the arts in general on this, on this podcast episode? based on your oh. own experiences and things that have come up. Some people have, have used it as an opportunity to encourage people to expand their interests. Um, one of the, for example, the a woman that I talked to is only presenting their orchestra concerts and a lot of their audience really prefers their Broadway tour schedule. So she wanted people to be curious. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, you know, yeah, being curious is, is really important. I think, um, 
being creative is really important right now. I think supporting, you know, it's great to support big institutions, but also, like you said, you know, smaller arts, organiz arts organizations, um, you know, who are really struggling right now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're not out of the woods yet here. And I think a lot of orgs are still figuring out, you know, may, ha may have gone into the virtual space, but also, you know, might need to be in person or, you know, really depend on that on revenue streams. So I would just really encourage everyone to think about, you know, any small or arts org that could, could use a little boost, <laughs> um, especially those that are owned um, by African-American um, entrepreneurs, you know, just figure, you know, try to lift, lift, lift those orgs up, you know, as best as, as we can, yeah. um, whether it's, you know, monetarily or giving them a shout out or liking their Facebook page or, you know, anything to, to kind of, to help. Yeah. Um, cause it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, and I think, yeah, I mean, we talk about kind of, I don't like using the words essentially. <laughs> I think that's a dichotomy that's not really helpful and can be sort of, um, damaging <laughs> I think yeah. and a lot and, and um want to hear you're not essential yeah yeah uh, it is a little it is a little you know weird. it's hard <laughs> yeah it's hard I mean and, and again not to discount you know essential category and, and I don't want to um, discount anybody uh, I think you know and th there's also that that saying you know arts makes is what you know, yeah. I guess it's a better way to approach it. So, um, yeah, I would just say like boost any arts organization that you care deeply about by just giving yeah. them a shout out of some kind. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's important to recognize too, that your support doesn't always have to be financial. Right. I mean, so many people are just struggling on a, on a day-to-day -day basis to pay their rent and, you know, buy groceries. So your support yeah. doesn't have to be doesn't have to come in the form of a check yeah right and I would say the same for like you know while we're kind of in this space just thinking about our teachers um across the board you know and, and kind of what they're experiencing and juggling um my parents were teachers so um you know and just thinking about my mom's retired my dad um, was an art teacher and passed away but a few years ago. Um, but I try to imagine him trying to do this, you know, as an art teacher. Yeah. Virtually, wow. you know, <laughs> so props to the teachers out there. Um, no kidding. And just, you know, I'm just really, again, as a parent of, of kids who are in school, um, I'm just constantly in awe anyway, but I, an, an added layer that no one saw coming and months of experiencing and prepping, it's just amazing what they're able to accomplish. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, on that super positive note, um, I'm going to wrap things up. Um, it was really great to talk to you. Celeste. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much for your time. And I'm sorry we started late. That's okay. <laughs> well, thank you for your patience as, you know, my son contributed to this podcast. Yes. <laughs> in the yes, background. <laughs> of course. It made it all the more real. And I'm yeah. sure it'll be even more relatable too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, good luck with everything Thanks. and um, thank you again.
You too. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. That concludes this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Pocket Casts, and wherever else you get your podcasts, or by visiting our website, anchor.fm slash artsmanagerpodcast, where you can also send us messages, questions, and suggestions for future guests. Be sure to tune in next time when I talk to Mandy Stone, Vice President of Earned Income and Guest Services at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art in Kansas City, Kansas. Until then, stay safe, everyone, and we'll see you soon.